You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Now, what I'm going to say is really going to relate back to the first Parsha as well. We're going to start from Parsha Breshit, as you will see in a few minutes. First, I want to comment about something in the political world. And that is something that disturbed many of us living outside of the United States, probably even more than disturbed people living in the United States. And that was the Biden-Trump debate, where, according to any listener, what we saw was, or rather what we heard even more than what we saw, was a constant round of two men interrupting each other, yelling at each other, essentially trying to take the floor for their own. Um, this was disturbing for many, many reasons. I'm trying not to get political here, but simply the two men essentially were looking as if they wished the other person out of existence. Now, this is a theme that we have in Jewish Musar and Jewish ethics that often our actions re- uh, reflect a deeper wish, sometimes a positive wish, but in this case, a negative wish, that when you silence a person, what you are essentially doing is wishing them not to exist. Now, this is disturbing. It would be more disturbing if it were uh, less common. Unfortunately, this is something that we know is more and more prevalent in the world, something that I spoke about in a couple of podcasts on my beta series, refer, referring back to uh, specifically Barry Weiss, for example, and others who have been silenced for their views, that this seems to be have become, a, unfortunately, a common way of discourse is simply trying to shame or prevent other people who disagree with you from speaking, something that I think is dangerous for many, many reasons. Be that as it may, it's not something completely new. Wanting to silence people is something that has gone back as far as man's existence, and we're going to take that back to last week's Parsha in the story of Cain and Hevel, essentially Cain and Hevel, uh, Cain and Abel, that is, uh, begin a conversation, but it quickly leads to a stopping of a conversation, absolute stopping, that actually physically uh, includes murder. Generally, in our times, and in debate, obviously, there was no blood on the floor, there was no murder, but the story of Cain and Hevel really shows that when people uh, are wishing to silence the others, essentially their will, what they would like to do, is to completely destroy the other person. In any case, this general topic relates back to fundamental law, natural law, if you will, uh, basic law. In Judaism, we speak about the seven mitzvot, the seven commandments of all people. Interestingly enough, even though uh, six of them were said to have been given to Adam, 
we call them the Noahide laws because the seventh of them was actually given to Noah, and that is the commandment of Aver Menachai of not taking a limb from a living animal. But what's interesting is that the six first laws given to Adam and not to Noah are given in code. I speak about in this in this week's Parsha article on redeeming relevance. Again, you know where to get that. Those of you who've been with me before, you can find that on my website, of course, francisnataf.com. You can subscribe to me by email to get it on email. And perhaps most easily, you can just either subscribe or look it up on the Jewish press. Towards the end of the week, this article will be appearing there. In any case, the six first laws are given to Adam, according to the rabbis in the Talmud and Sanhedrin, they're given to him by way of one law. In other words, one law is actually communicating somehow five or six laws that aren't really written there. That one law that Adam was given, you're all familiar with, and that's the law of not eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, what's called the Eitz Hadat in Hebrew. Uh, and from that, Adam was meant to understand various other things. What's interesting is that that law is ultimately a law about theft. The situation was God claiming ownership, as he certainly has over everything, uh, but claiming ownership to this tree and telling Adam that he could not have that which God claimed as his inviolable property, meaning that he gave permission. Uh, in fact, he gives uh, explicit permission to take from everything else. After all, it's mine, meaning it's God's. Everything you can take, one thing you cannot take, I'm reserving this part of my property for myself, or at least uh, for you not to have it. This is, even though it's violated, is understood, is understood by Adam. And when it is violated, it is with the knowledge of having done something wrong. What's interesting about this is this particular commandment based on the idea of property um, is the basis of all the other laws. Meaning at this point, the entire natural law system is based on the one concept of property, of private property, that if someone owns something, you may not take it. And from that, the other things flow. Now, it's very interesting that this idea is extremely basic. The reason it's extremely basic is it something that we can picture in our minds? Meaning, if someone has an apple in their hand or anything else in their hand, everybody would agree to that taking the apple away from that person's hand is unfair, incorrect, a violation of that other person, right? And therefore, that is so intuitive that God can take that idea, use it in a specific case to Adam, and from that idea, other ideas flow. But the basic idea is that of 
private property, that once one can see it on a literal, physical level, then one can extend it to a more figurative level, let's say, wherein a person owns property. Granted, the property, uh, I mean, meaning like land, granted a person doesn't hold land in their hand, but the idea is ultimately the same. And therefore, all societies, uh, even uh, communist societies, understand the notion of some private property, some things that a person cannot take from someone else. And the problem is in this week's Parsha. What I mean the problem? The problem is that after the flood, Noah is given another series of laws. And among those laws are another law which seemingly, according to Jewish tradition, was already given, that of murder. And if you look in this week's essays, what I say about that is that man reduced the idea of murder to an issue of property rights, which is not completely far-fetched. That person owns their life. But once a person, if, if one reduces murder to that, then we get into problems, as I think is what happened in the case of Cain and Hevel. Again, look in the essay to find out more about that. Uh, but what I point out among the things I point out over there and something that I wanted to mention in this podcast is that what comes out of this is that murder is less intuitive than property, meaning the idea that a person's life is something that one cannot take away is not as intuitive as the idea that one cannot take one's property away. In fact, we have examples of that in the Bible. Uh, Specifically, I mentioned the case of King Ahav, King Ahab, who takes away property only after murdering someone that he's not willing to steal it from him, but if the person is dead, then clearly he no longer owns the property um, being dead. So therefore, he's willing to take it, but only at that point, not beforehand. And it seems to me that the reason this is more intuitive is that property rights depend on logic, on intuitive logic, right? logic that one can picture with one's eyes. Murder requires something more. Murder requires spiritual understanding. The notion that life is somehow different, is somehow elevated, and some somehow something that a person has no right to interfere with. This is a spiritual level of understanding. And it's not privy to everyone, as we can see. And I think that reflects back to the debate with which we began, that ultimately we're dealing with two individuals who like them or dislike them, like one or the other, ultimately are not very spiritual individuals. And therefore, they'll look at another, at an opponent, as someone who they would like to silence in in the back of their minds, as we said before, someone they would like to eliminate because 
they are not connected spiritually to the point where they can say that this is something that is completely out of bounds. And I just want to uh, close with an interesting observation made in 1960 by uh, a man by the name of Walter Kaufmann. Kaufmann was a German intellectual that came to the United States uh, after World War II, and he delivered a series of lectures. I think it was at Harvard, but I don't remember exactly, classic lectures on the key or some of the key modern Jewish philosophers. And in that series, he speaks about Kennedy as a Catholic, right? I understand Joe Biden is also Catholic, but uh, in 1960, that was much more of an issue than it is today. Kaufman points out that really America had no problem ultimately with a Catholic president, uh, provided that he wasn't really Catholic, meaning provided that he didn't take his religion too seriously. Um, this is something that I know is being debated uh, even as we speak. Uh, different uh, types of Catholics are taking different positions on whether that's still the case today. But what's interesting in either event is that the general political discourse is one uh, that lacks spirituality. Uh, that, in my mind, is a sure reason for the decline that we're seeing in the type of debate where people are just doing what they've always wanted to do, to yell out, I want to get rid of the other person. Now, they wouldn't go ahead and, and, and go into the other person's pocket and steal from them. That, after all, is something that's logical and intuitive. So that is accepted as natural law by everyone, spiritual people and people who are less spiritual. Uh, it is time for us, those of us who feel spiritually connected, to not only demand that such a voice be heard, the voice of spirituality, that it be heard in the public square, and that we expect more from leaders, that we want them to at least have an understanding of the spiritual dimension such that they will be concerned about such a open display of lack of spiritual understanding, wherein the one will seek to silence the other. That's it for this week. And again, welcome. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 